0: It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Lord, we love you. We just thank you for this morning. We just thank you for the opportunity to come to your, uh, just to gather uh, with believers and come to your word afresh Lord, I would just ask that there would be anointing upon your word, that it would come alive, that somehow you would press us and challenge us and shape us more and more <clears throat> into your likeness. Uh, Lord, I just uh, pray that you would take my weakness and use it for your glory. And uh, Lord, we just love you and thank you for all that you're doing in these days. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, good to see you all. Uh, thank you for your prayers, by the way. I am doing better, except for a little cough and soreness and tiredness and other than that, I'm phenomenal, so this is good. <clears throat> well, on Tuesdays, we're, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, and if you, if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we've been looking over the last couple of sessions at uh, verse 3, which we're going to look at again. <clears throat> uh, what I want to do is just kind of begin at verse 1 and just kind of read down through verse 3, just to kind of get us in the flow of the context of what Paul is saying. Ephesians 1.1, Paul begins by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Uh, we're going to be looking at this idea of the heavenly places or the heavenly realms this morning, which I'm really excited about. It's a phenomenal concept uh, that we want to talk through. Uh, but before we do that, I uh, just want to give you a, maybe a quick question to ponder. Uh, have you ever had those moments where uh, you're, you're, you're coming out of sleep, and as you're coming out of sleep, you're not sure what reality is the real reality? <clears throat> in other words, you're in this dream reality, sleep state, and you're coming out of it, and it was so real that what you're waking up into is you're like, is this reality or was that reality? And what's weird is if you're like you're waking up in the middle of a dream, like you're in a dream and you're waking up in the dream, and you're not sure if the waking up in the dream is still the dream or if it's, you know what I'm saying, it's, it gets confusing. But in those moments, it's, isn't it interesting that here, here you are, you're waking up, and you start asking these random questions like, where am I? Who am I? What am I? I mean, like those really important uh, philosophical questions. It's interesting, isn't it, that as humans, even just in this idea of dream and awake, that there is a real reality that we live in, and yet, isn't it fascinating that there seems like there's this other reality called sleep dreams that we get to participate in? Now, that's maybe a bad example for where I'm going. But as Christians, do you recognize that we live in a dual reality? We have dual citizenship. We live in a physical, visible world right now, and yet we're also living in a spiritual reality that's surrounding us. That it's not, well, are you a part of one or the other? It's, as Christians, we partake of both. Isn't that a fun thought? That though we are living in this reality right now, so like pinch your neighbor, and they go, ah, right? It's it's real. And yet, there's a spiritual reality that we also get, get to live in. Now, you could ask the question, which one is more real? Or which one's the real, real reality? I think if you were to press me, I'd probably say the spiritual is even more real than what we would say is physical here, and yet we can't see it. And that's what I want to talk about. Uh, There's a great story in 2 Kings chapter 6. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, oh, this is so awesome. Uh, Here's this prophet by the name of Elisha. And he was tutored under the great prophet Elijah. And uh, this prophet Elijah one day is, uh, is at home, and he's making breakfast. And I, I'm, I'm presuming he's making breakfast. But his, uh, his servant goes out and grabs, goes, goes and grabs some water and comes, runs back in. And as he runs back in, he, he notices that there's this huge problem, and it's the Syrians. Now, to give you some quick context, the Syrians were the enemies of Israel. And up to this point, the, the Syrians were trying to attack Israel and just by chance, every time the Syrians were showing up, Israel was there to meet them. And so the king of Syria was getting a little frustrated because he began to recognize that the only way that the Israelites would know every time we were, where we were going to, to fight them, there had to be a spy in my camp. And so the, the passage right before our, our passage, they gather, the king of Syria gathers all these, you know, his kind of his commanders together and basically accuses one of them of being a spy, And of course, you know, as good commanders, they're like, no, 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 none of us are a spy. Hey, we're loyal. Here's the problem. There is a prophet in Israel by the name of Elisha. And it says that not only does he know your plans, but he like, he hears your pillow talk at night, which is a creepy thought. And the king of Syria goes, well, we need to get Elisha. Now this makes no sense to me. His thought is, hey, let's go capture Elisha. Now if Elisha knows The plans of the king, if he hears the pillow talk, doesn't he already know? Probably. Anyway, so so the king of Syria sends all his troops to go and catch Elisha. Now, that's where our story picks up. So in 2 Kings chapter 6, the servant goes out and he sees surrounding the whole place where they're at, surrounded by the Syrians. And so he runs in, and listen to this. It says, when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, There was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, master, what shall we do? Now, I don't know about you, but if I was a servant and it's just me and Elisha, and I go out and there's this entire army surrounding me, I would be concerned. Because I would look at Elisha and be like, Dude, you don't have any muscles. And we don't have Dan McConaughey here. So I don't think we're going to win, right? Do you know what Elisha, do you know how Elisha responds? L- listen to this. This is so fascinating to me. Elisha says to the servant, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, if I was a servant, I would have looked at Elisha and been like, Elisha, I, I, I don't think you can count. Because let me count, one, Two. And I was out there and I saw far more than two. Do you realize Elisha, even though he was living in a physical, visible world, his perspective was not physical, it was spiritual. And so Elisha takes the servant outside and Elisha prays and says, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Could you imagine what that must have been like? Here you are, this servant, who runs out and sees this entire army surrounding you. And you're like, oh no, what are we going to do? And Elisha's like, no big deal, let's have breakfast. No, 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 there's an army surrounding us, Elisha. What are we going to do? It's not a big deal, seriously, just chill. No, there's an army around us. And Elisha's like, fine, God, open his eyes. And the moment his eyes are open and he sees the horses and chariots of fire all around, if I was a servant, I'd be like, oh, Let's have breakfast. I mean, like, why would you be concerned? Right? Because obviously, the spiritual reality that Elisha was living in was greater than the physical reality that the servant was living in. And you can say, well, which one's more real? Well, to Elisha, the spiritual was. Wouldn't it be interesting as Christians if we could live that way all the time? Not not that we see horses and chariots of fire all around. That would be cool, though. But what if... What if we didn't just live in the physical reality? What if we just didn't have a physical perspective? What if we had a spiritual perspective? What if we lived in a spiritual reality with this thought process? It's interesting that as Paul comes into Ephesians chapter 1, and he's talking about this idea of the, the heavenly realms, that's exactly what he's referring to. That there is this thing out there called the heavenly realms. And you're like, oh, I can't, can I see it? No. Can I touch it? And yet you get to experience it. But it's not experienced here in the physical. It's experienced here in the spiritual. And the only way you can experience it is in the spiritual. You getting this? Do I need to do this again? Uh, The word uh, for heavenly realms in Ephesians is uporinios. It's interesting that this word, it's used about 20 times throughout the New Testament, but in the particular grammar structure of how Paul uses it in Ephesians, this, uh, the book of Ephesians is the only place this word shows up. In other words, uh, even though the word is, is used 20 times, this particular grammatical way it's being used, it only shows up in Ephesians and it is used five times, which is phenomenal if you think about it. Uh, But this idea of uperanios, it means this throne room, the heavenly place where God dwells, heaven, heavenly temple, sanctuary, the place where the spiritual battles take place. That's all true, but I don't know how you define it well. Uh, In other words, you could say like, uh, when is the heavenly realms? Is it like, oh, so I'm going to die and experience the heavenly realms? No. Because it's not then, it's now. Because it's, it's all, it's It's here. Well, where is it? Can I, can I touch it? No. Because it's like, it's, it's like you could stretch and reach out and it's like just beyond your fingertips. I mean, it's there. And it's all around us. In fact, it's pressing in it around us and yet, uh, I can't touch it. Isn't this confusing? Uh, how am I going to experience this? Well, it seems like scripturally, the only option you have to experience the reality of the heavenly realms is only one option. In Jesus. Uh, maybe a horrible illustration, <clears throat> but imagine there's this huge brick wall, and on the other side is the heavenly realms. And so I'm like, oh, I, I want to experience the heavenly realms. I'm so excited about the heavenly realms. Oh, I just cannot wait to get into the heavenly realms. And so I look at the brick wall, and I go, oh, I know, how, I know, what, I know what I'm supposed to do. I mean, God has given me the ability to deal with brick walls. Whew, it's called a forehead. Yeah, so I go up to the brick wall and just thump, 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 thump. You know, after a couple of minutes, you know, I find myself lying on the ground, a little bloodied and bruised, and I'm like, this isn't working. <laughs> and it's true. And you realize that in your own ability, it's actually impossible for you to enter in to the heavenly realms. You can say, well, I'll, I'll, climb, I'll climb the brick wall. No, <laughs> you can't climb the brick wall. I mean, it's like 100 million miles into the sky. You can't climb over it. Well, I'll go around it. No, no, it's like 100 million miles in every direction. I'll climb under it. No, because it just, it goes. You only have one option to get into the heavenly realms. To quit trying. It's interesting that in Isaiah, there's like this, there's these dual passages I think is fascinating. Uh, Isaiah says that the best that we can pull off in our own ability is but filthy rags. In other words, in my own strength, in my own ability, I cannot produce Righteousness. I cannot produce produce holiness. Well, how how am I going to experience the fullness of holiness and righteousness? Isaiah says, I think it's Isaiah 61. He says you're to be clothed with the robe of righteousness. Speaking about Jesus. That Jesus himself is our robe. And when you find yourself in Jesus Christ and you're clothed with him, guess what? You find yourself in the heavenly realms. And you're actually getting to experience all that is in the heavenly realms, as long as you remain in Jesus. Now, what I want to do is I want to walk through these five passages rather quickly in the book of Ephesians with you. Because it starts to set a tenor or a tone of what this reality actually is that you and I get to participate in, which is absolutely phenomenal. Now, remember, this is, hey, this is not, well, me and my own ability, let's pull this thing off. You cannot do this that the only way you're going to experience the realities of this heavenly realm thing is in Jesus Christ. So let's look at these really quickly. The first time it shows up, obviously, is in our passage here in verse 3. And again, it's the blessing section. And what Paul is articulating, which is so phenomenal, let's read this again. This is verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. In Christ. If you remember from a previous study, the idea is here is God. He is a blessed God. That that in and of Himself, He is blessed. And it's like that blessing just kind of grabs a hold of God and says, hey, you should do something about this. And God goes, oh, I think I will. And so the blessed God speaks forth blessing over you and I, which is phenomenal. Because we don't deserve blessing, we deserve wrath, we deserve curse. And what does the blessed God do? Oh, this blessed God is wanting to speak forth blessing over you and I. And what kind of blessing is God speaking over us? Well, it's not just any kind of blessing. It is every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And what we were looking at is it's not that God has this, you know, the shelf or, you know, this pantry in the back that has a whole bunch of different blessings. He has one single blessing that you and I get to experience himself. That, hey, when I'm looking for peace, what does God give me? He doesn't give me a pill called peace. He gives me Jesus who becomes the Prince of Peace in my life. Hey, when I need joy, God doesn't give me a pill called joy. He gives me Jesus who becomes the fullness of joy in my life. Hey, when I need patience, He doesn't give me, you know, road construction. He, he does that too. But He doesn't just give me road construction. He gives me Jesus who becomes patience in my life. See, Hey, when I need love, He doesn't give me a pill called love. He gives me Jesus who is love itself. So you begin to realize that every single blessing that God has for me, or as Peter would say, everything that you need for life and for godliness, is found in Christ Jesus, alone. And so here's Paul. He's saying, "Wow, you are blessed! And what is every single blessing that God has for you found in Jesus? And where is all of that taking place, in the heavenly realms? That the blessings of my life are not just—it's not just a physical thing. Oh, I get a lot of money. Probably not. Oh, I get a new car." I wish, but no. That, that's not the blessings that God. It's not. It's not a physical thing. Now, there is physical ramifications to our spiritual blessings, and yes, it may play out in the physical. But where is the where is the blessings contained in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus? Is making sense. Uh, the second one shows up a little bit later in chapter one. Paul's in the middle of his first prayer. And at the end of his prayer, he's talking about experiencing the overwhelming power of God. It's an incredible section. And in the the middle of this prayer, or at the very end of this thing, he's talking about this power of God that is being demonstrated in the life of Jesus. And he says in verse 20, speaking of the Father, he says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Do you know where Jesus is right this moment? In the heavenly realms. Seated at the right hand of the Father. And again, that whole idea of being at the right hand of the Father is this idea it's a place of power, it's a place of control, it's a place of authority, but it's also a place of relationship, the right side. It's a place of intimacy. Uh, all that is contained in this idea of being at the right hand of the Father. So here is Jesus in a place of authority. Here is Jesus in a place of dominion. Here is Jesus in a place of control. Here is Jesus in the place of intimacy and the whole idea, the passage, is here's is Jesus, deader than a doornail. He's physically dead. And we know that, but I think for, for whatever reason, we sometimes forget the fact that Jesus died. Physically, literally. He was dead. Food for worms, pushing up daisies. Dead. Like, not just dead, he's like dead dead. Like dead. I mean dead. Are you getting this? Not like sort of dead, almost dead, mostly dead. He's dead. Right? And what did the father do? The father reached his hand into the physical deadness of Jesus and yanked a physically dead Jesus and brought him into physical life. That is incredible! And if that wasn't good enough, Paul says, then God took a physically alive Jesus and elevated him and put him in the heavenly realms and sat him at the right hand of the father which is far above every principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is the commonplace, all things underneath his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of all who fills all in all. That is a phenomenal location. Isn't that awesome? Where is all that taking place? Heavenly realms. And you realize Jesus, right this moment, is sitting, it, at the right hand of the Father. In the heavenly realms. Which is interesting because this must, it, though it's a spiritual thing, there is a physical dimension here because Jesus is physical. Right? I mean, nod, nod your heads, right? He came physical. He ascended physical. It says he's going to descend just as he came, he, as he went up. So the presumption in Scripture, he's still physical. That's awesome. So you realize the spiritual realm is affecting the physical, and yet somehow the physical is affecting the spiritual. Think this through. I think it's amazing. Now, as you come into the next one, which is in chapter 2, verse 6, Paul is talking about your life and the power of God demonstrated in your life. And he says, guess what? You were dead. Not just sort of dead, mostly dead, hope you're dead. I mean, you were dead, like dead, dead, but not physically. You were dead spiritually. So think about this. Paul is saying that just as Jesus was physically dead, so too you were spiritually dead. And just as the Father reached his hand into the physical deadness of Jesus, and you into physically dead Jesus into physical life, guess what he did for you? He reached his hand into your spiritual deadness and brought you from spiritual death into spiritual life. That's awesome. Your faces, that's awesome. That's like run the aisles with white hankies. Awesome, like this is good news, like this is awesome, right? And if that wasn't good enough, which by the way, we don't even deserve that, but if that wasn't good enough, Paul says that though just as God raised us from the spiritual death, He then took us and placed us in Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms. So though I am standing here in Windsor, Colorado, guess where I am sitting spiritually? In Jesus, in the heavenly realms. And as a Christian, I have dual citizenship because I'm living physically here on earth and at the same time, I'm living, I'm living spiritually in Jesus in the heavenly realms. Isn't that an amazing thought? which means all that God has accomplished in Christ Jesus and the position that Christ has at the right hand of the Father, I get to participate in. Hey, all things come underneath his feet. Guess what that means? As long as I remain in Christ Jesus, all things come underneath my feet. Not because I'm special. Not because I'm important. Not because I'm good looking, because none of that's all true. (laughs) But it's because I'm in Christ Jesus. And because all things are, are, are underneath his feet, and I'm in him, then all things come underneath my feet. Hey, I do not have to be pushed around by sin, folks. Hey, I can walk in triumph and victory and freedom and peace. Why? Because I'm smack dab in the middle of Jesus at the right hand of the Father, and everything comes underneath his feet, which means they come underneath my feet while I remain in him. That is amazing. Can I get a white hanky? Just kidding. kidding. But hey, that's great news. Because I don't have to remain dead. And I don't even have to remain just spiritually alive. You realize that spiritual life is not the end goal of Jesus in your life. I mean, it is. Because he is the life itself. But you realize that it's not just, oh, I'm saved from my sins, and I'll go do what I want to do. That salvation in the gospel is so much more than just forgiveness of sins. Which is amazing. Uh, The fourth time this word is used is in chapter 3, verse 10. And we're not going to have a lot of time to flesh this out. We'll eventually get there in a few years from now, probably. <clears throat> but in Ephesians 3, 10, Paul is talking about the fact that here's the church, which is the body of Christ, and the church is to declare the manifold wisdom of God. And the, the, the church is declaring that your life, my life, here we are, the corporate body of Christ is declaring To the universe, the manifold wisdom of God, that the richness of his wisdom, the profundity of his life, the reality of all that he's doing, we are declaring by how we live to the universe. And let me just read the passage. It says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. Now, I'm going to come back to this really quick, but let me just read the next one And I think it'll help us understand. In chapter 6, Paul is talking about the armor of God. And he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realms. So it's interesting that this heavenly realms idea is not just, well, this is the throne room, this is the presence of God kind of stuff. That's true. But this is where the spiritual battles take place, is in the heavenly realms, so isn't it fascinating that when you come back into chapter 3, <clears throat> what Paul's articulating then is that as the church, we are declaring by how we live the realities of Jesus in the heavenly realms. So you got to think this through. Here we are in the physical. Right? Pinch your neighbor. We're in the physical. And here we are in the, in, in the physical And you and I are in the physical are to live as if the spiritual realities are true. Because they are. And you realize that here we are when we begin to live in this reality here, the heavenly realms, down here while we're in the physical. What that begins to do is that declares to everyone, both in the physical and in the spiritual, that the spiritual is real. Does that make any sense? Try that again. Ah, you had this little boy. <coughs> Excuse me. Ah, he's probably 12 years old or so. And uh, he was sent by the father to bring bread and cheese to his brothers. Shows up on this field of battle. 40 days, there's this giant yelling to the armies of Israel. Hey, I defy your God. Send out your best warrior. Come out, fight me. And nobody, I mean, the secret forces of Israel refused to fight this man by the name of Goliath. And this little pipsqueak kid, 13, 14 years old, right? He shows up on the battle and goes, let me at him. Now, if I was the king, I'd be like, no, no. Because if you lose, we, we become slaves. And David's like, just let me at him. Because I know my God. And Saul goes, okay, which doesn't-it never made sense to me why the king would allow this to even take place. But says, all right, I'll, I'll let this 13, 14-year-old kid go off and fight the battle. So here's David. He marches onto the field of battle. And Goliath looks at him and just kind of goes, serious? That's the best you got? A child? Like, my sword is bigger than him. My pinky is bigger than his waist. I mean, are you kidding? Right? <clears throat> And it's interesting that David looks at the Goliath, looks at the Goliath, looks at Goliath and says, your head's coming off. Birds are going to eat your flesh today. And he makes a statement. He says, and all of Israel will know that God is still God. So here in the physical, isn't it interesting that in the physical, it looks like an impossibility for David. Here's a 13, 14 year old kid. 13, 14 year old kids do not win battles let alone with giants, let alone with a rock, right? I mean, this is impossible in the physical. But David was not living in the physical. He was living in the spiritual. And he says, hey, I know the strength of my God. God has proven me. So I'm going to bring this reality and this perspective down here in the physical, and I'm going to play out the spiritual into the physical. And isn't it interesting that when Goliath's head came off, the people cried out and it said that, oh, God is still the God of Israel. And what they saw happening in the physical was a demonstration of the spiritual. And it was a declaration to the spiritual and the physical that the spiritual is real. Uh, here's this prophet by the name of Elijah, and he, he gathers all the prophets at Baal on Mount Carmel, which is sounding like a delightful place to live because it just sounds like a big Sunday, you know, with caramel and chocolate. and it just, It's not that, it's just a mountain unfortunately. But <clears throat> there's all the prophets on Mount Carmel, and uh, they're up there, and they have this big contest, and the prophets, they build a little altar, and I, I love the story because Elijah starts mocking them. You have to look it up because it's a funny passage, but Elijah mocks them and has a whole bunch of sarcasm to the prophets, and they find eventually they're not doing anything, and so Elijah reestablishes the altar of the, the Lord and puts water upon the whole thing and steps back And just says, Lord, prove yourself. And the fire came down. And it says, you know, took the the, uh, sacrifice, licked up the water, burnt the stones, took the ground underneath it. This was the coolest thing ever. And it says that when the people saw what God did, they fell upon their faces. And they cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What is that? Well, here's Elijah in the physical. One man against a whole bunch of hundreds of prophets of Baal. This is impossible. I know. But he didn't live here in the physical. Elijah was living here in the spiritual. And isn't it interesting when Elijah lived the spiritual reality down here in the physical, it was a declaration to the physical and apparently the spiritual that the spiritual is real. Are you getting this? How's a Christian to live? (gasps) We live in a physical, visible world. Yeah, we live right here. Pinch your neighbor. Ah, it hurts. Yeah, I know. Because it's physical. Yeah, we live here in the physical. Physical but you and I don't just live in the physical, we live in the spiritual. Well, which one's more real? Well, they're both real, but the spiritual actually biblically seems more real. And as a Christian, you are not merely called to live here in the physical, you're meant to live here in the spiritual. And isn't it interesting, according to Paul, that when the church, who's down here in the physical, actually lives their reality here in the spiritual, that it declares to the spiritual that the spiritual is real. And you can say, don't they already know that? Yeah. But there's a spiritual battle taking place up here, folks. And the emphasis of the passage, it seems to be, that when you and I begin to live here in the physical, the spiritual realities, it like, it strengthens the angelic host by saying, hey, this thing is real. Do you know how sad it is for our culture when you have a church or a body of believers who is supposed to live here in the spiritual but all they do is live in the physical. Hey, they look at their finances and go, oh no, look at our finances! And they live in the physical. And they never live from the spiritual. According to Paul, what it seems to be doing is, it's like it's strengthening the demonic host saying, see, this thing doesn't work. That we know that this spiritual realm is real, but you're not living it. As the body of Christ, we are to declare to the universe both the physical and the spiritual that the spiritual is where our perspective is. The spiritual is where we live from. The spiritual is how we function. The spiritual is how we make it day by day by day. So let's put this down into our world. Uh, this afternoon, you get online. You look at your bank account. That's physical. Physical. Right? And if you're like most people in the elderly world, there is a similar response that we all have every time we open up our bank account. Ah! <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Which is why most of us quit opening up our bank account because there's no point, you know? <laughs> That's here, folks. That's physical. But what would happen in the midst of the physical if you didn't just have the physical perspective? What if you had a spiritual perspective in the midst of your physical? And what if your empty bank account wasn't just, oh, no!
1: Dear Lord, what are we going to do?
0: What if it's, Jesus, I trust you. And God, I know you have a purpose and a plan and if you've called me to this, I know you'll provide. And, and hey, would you demonstrate yourself? I, I love what uh, C.T. Studd said. He said, uh, finances are low again. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! I'm like, buddy, I don't think that's the proper response. He's not, no, 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 it's the proper response. And he goes on to say, hey, funger low again, hallelujah, because God obviously entrusts his reputation to us. That if God has called us here, he's not going to just let us go by the wayside. That we can trust him. What is that? That's a spiritual perspective in the midst of a physical problem. Ah, you're driving down the road. Oh, no, a flat tire! <laughs> That's physical. But what if in the middle of your flat tire, it wasn't just, oh, no, a flat tire? What if it was spiritual perspective? And what if God was trying to do something in the midst of that? I, I've told the story so many times, but one of my good friends, he travels and preaches all the time, and he was traveling with his kids a few years ago, and uh, his bus, this is his little RV thing, i got a flat tire. And he's just like, oh, this is so much work. You know, this is so, I'm, God, I'm just tired. i, I got to get to the next place. And, and as he's sitting there trying to change a tire, uh, his daughter, who's only a couple years, you know, like maybe four or five years old, got a piece of glass in her eye. and She starts screaming, and, and they're miles and miles and miles away from, from anything, any doctors, any of that kind of stuff. And my buddy was just like, what do we do? I have a flat tire. My daughter needs to go see a doctor. She's screaming. He's like, God, you're going to have to give me... I trust that this flat tire was not by, by accident. So you've you got to do something. And it's interesting, this lady pulls off on the side of the road who never stops. Is what she said. And comes up and says, is there anything I can do? Any, anything I can help you with? He's like, well, I've got to get to a doctor because my, my daughter just got a piece of glass in her eye. And she goes, I'm a doctor. I'll just deal with it. And you realize, had there not been a flat tire, she wouldn't have stopped. And there would've been a major issue because they were, they were miles away from any, from any help. What is that? Whoa, God's doing something in the middle of a flat tire. Oh no, I have appendicitis. <laughs> Emergency surgery. What are we gonna do? I'm supposed to leave the next day. I'm supposed to be gone. How are we gonna make it? This is all hypothetical, right? But what if, there's a, what if there's a spiritual perspective in that? That this wasn't by accident. That, that maybe God wants to do something in the middle of all this. Is this making sense? See, wouldn't it be fascinating for you and I not just to live in a physical, visible world. We get to live here. This is phenomenal. So don't, hey, don't forsake it. Right? In other words, pinch your neighbor. This is exciting. right? We Hey, we're physical. So it's not a downplay of the physical as much as what would it look like if you didn't just live in the physical, what if you lived in the spiritual while living in the physical? That's called Christianity. Because as you and I, we're not really called to live here in the physical. And we get to deal with a lot of physical problems. And God allows a lot of exciting physical problems, why? To make sure we have a spiritual perspective. Alas, master, what are we gonna do? We're surrounded by a Syrian army. We're not gonna make it. Just chill, buddy. Eat your breakfast. It'll be okay. Wouldn't it be amazing if you and I could live here all the time while we lived here? See, wouldn't it be interesting if every challenge that you and I faced, every financial difficulty, every problem, every family situation, every circumstance, every, just every, what if we we would allow God to give us his mind? What if we would allow him to give us his perspective What if we would allow him just to permeate our our, our minds and allow us to see from a heavenly realm perspective what's actually taking place here in the physical? And it's not that the physical goes away. You understand that? You still got to fix the flat tire. You still don't have any money in your bank account. Sorry. You still have to have the emergency surgery. (laughs) But you can have a whole different perspective in the middle of that. Do you realize if the whole body of Christ began to live that way, that would change the world? An example after example after example throughout scripture, when people, men and women, began to live with a heavenly perspective here in the physical, it was declaring to the physical and apparently the spiritual that the spiritual thing is real. And repentance often came as a result. Wouldn't it be amazing if our culture began to see Jesus lived out here in the physical because we lived it here in the spiritual. That we just, yeah, we have to play it out here. I understand that. And yeah, we get to participate in the physical difficulties, but whoa, what would it look like if you and I were just constantly with this perspective? Uh, There's this man, (coughs) excuse me, Uh, there's this man (coughs) back in the 1800s And uh, he got caught in the middle of the big Chicago fire. Just everything that he had was destroyed. And uh, he looked at his wife and his couple daughters and said, "Look, (laughs) we've lost everything, and we need to move." And so he decided that he's going to take his family and move to 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 London. And uh, he had to finish some business deals. I think it was in New York City or so. And uh, so he was finishing some stuff. But he sent his, he put his wife and his daughters on uh, on the boat and sent them off to London. <clears throat> and partway off in, in the Atlantic, the boat sinks and his daughters die. His wife was one of the few people who made it, uh, who escaped. She eventually telegraphs her husband and just says, lone survivor, you know, come quickly. <laughs> I need you. The man finishes up his business deals and gets on a boat and he's, he's heading off to London to go comfort his wife. And, and uh, they get to the point part. Of the ocean where they thought the boat had gone down, and the captain came down and said, Sir, the best that we know, this is right around the same area that your that the boat sank and your daughters died. He says, Okay, thank you. And the man goes to the, the rail and he's looking down in the water. Could you imagine what this man must have been feeling like? He just lost his business, he just lost his money, he just lost everything that he owned. And now he sends his wife and his daughters on to go start a new life, and his his daughters end up drowning, and his wife's now by herself, and he's trying to get to her and comfort her, but he can't get there yet. And and all that anguish and all that grief and all that pain and all that. And was he sad? No doubt. Was there tears? Probably so. Why? Because it's hard from the physical. And hey, you should mourn and you should cry, and, and hey, that's all good. But it's interesting that as this man was looking into the water, he didn't just see it from this physical. He wanted to see it from the spiritual. And it's interesting as, it, as he's looking out into the water, he starts writing some words down, and it became a song that you and I sing all the time. Just listen to these lyrics and think of a spiritual perspective in the midst of grief. And it's not bad to have grief because we, we experience grief. We understand that. But what if there's a spiritual perspective in the middle of that kind of hardship? This is what the man wrote. He says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. Would you have that perspective? Not just see the physical for the physical. But in the midst of the physical, would you gain God's heart and his mind? Would you live with a spiritual reality, a a heavenly perspective, stamping eternity upon your eyeballs with his mind in view? That's what we are called to live as Christians. I want to pray, but if you want to join us for the study next time, which I think is next week, uh, we're going to be looking, we're still in verse (laughs) 3. This will be our last study in verse 3, then we're going to move. But... Uh, We're going to look at this idea of in Christ, so if you want to participate, I would encourage you to read through the book of Ephesians every day this week, if possible, or at least read it through once, Uh, specifically looking at chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, uh, which is that whole blessing section, just want to stay in that context, get that just, the idea of saturation, hey, be a sponge, plunge into a bucket of water, just soak in the passage, just think about the passage, Uh, memorize the passage, and then uh, we're going to look specifically at that idea of in Christ, uh, found in verse 3, but fascinating That whole concept of in Christ becomes the pillar of this entire book. Uh, Paul uses that language 30 times in the first three chapters to talk about our position. So we're going to talk about that next week. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, we just pray that in the midst of our physical, whatever it may be, family or financial or just trials and hardships and pain or difficulties, Lord, would you give us a heavenly mind? heavenly perspective. Lord, may we like David or Elijah have such a life that when the world looks upon how we are living in the physical, they can't help but see you. That somehow the spiritual is just being declared forth through our lives and through our lips. That what this world sees and what they hear is not just our life or our problems or our whatever. They see you. Lord, may our only explanation for how we are living, be Jesus. So, Lord, we pray that in the midst of every circumstance, in the midst of every trial, in the midst of every whatever is going on in our life, Lord, would you give us a new perspective, a new thought process, that perhaps this isn't just a flat tire after all. Perhaps you're wanting to do something through this and in this. Lord, change our hearts and our minds. We love you.